The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 159 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own and not my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sense of intelligence that I've been privileged to a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. So we have yet again another tier one guest for you this evening. Pedram Amini is going to be with us. Uh, he's going to be making a return to the show. We're super excited to have him. He is currently the chief technology officer of Inquest. And before becoming the CTO at Inquest, uh, Pedram was a director at Avast and a founder of JumpShot, a solution for the identification and removal of deeply entrenched malware. Before JumpShot, he founded the Zero Day Initiative at Tipping Point, where the intrusion prevention system was actually invented. And Tipping Point, he built and managed the world's largest group of independent researchers in the cybersecurity industry, which is to date the predominant source of all Microsoft vulnerability discoveries. He has historically spent much of his time in the shoes of a reverse engineer developing automation tools and processes. And this is where all the cool kids hang out, right? So everybody wants to hear from him. Pedram has uh, formally presented and giving training courses at Black Hat and numerous other InfoSec conferences globally. He holds a cybersecurity degree from Tulane University and is the author of the book, Fuzzing Brute Force Vulnerability Discovery. We are super jacked up to have him with us the evening. Pedram, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio. It's great to be back. Good to talk to you again, George. Hey, I'm excited about our conversation. You know, last time we spoke, I think it was back in August of 2019. I think it was episode 97. And you had just launched Inquest Labs and Black Hat and announced Inquest was getting into the enterprise space with email security. And so can you catch us up on what you've been doing since then, since the last time we spoke and the last time you were on the show? What's been going on? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's been a year and a pandemic. Uh, but last we caught one another was, you know, right after uh, a Black Hat Las Vegas in uh, 2019. Right. Yeah. And so while I was there, you know, one of the, uh, the talk I had given there was about uh, finding zero day in the wild. You know, we, you know, background-wise, I've come from like an offensive space, but in, in the recent decade, I've mostly been focusing on uh, defensive, you know, malware analysis at scale, you know, just ingesting millions of samples and trying to surface the ones that are, are interesting, um, interesting from a defender perspective and interesting from a research perspective. You know, this is uh, my passion, really, at the end of the day. So this is really interesting. You know, why, why email security? Is, is it, isn't it a crowded space? I mean, there's a lot of people in the space right now, right? It is. It is a crowded space, you know. Um, but one of the reasons why we, we went into this space is, you know, while it may be crowded, um, it's clearly not a solved problem. I mean, look at any, any headline and you'll see, you know, left and right companies are getting uh, compromised and the vast majority of it actually starts with an email. You know, take a look at the, uh, Verizon uh, data breach and investigations report. And, you know, they'll reference over 30% of compromise is from phishing. 
and over 90, you know, about 95% actually starts with, with an email. You know, and this really is, is one of the reasons why we created uh, Inquest Labs in the first place is you know, we built an apparatus where we leverage this thing to try and find or you know, try and stay on top of uh, you know, the latest breaking crest of, of malware. And then at some point, you know, at that Black Hat talk, we just kind of opened it up to the world. You know, we, you know, we've grown it since like 100,000 monthly visits. We've got 100 uh, researchers out there. This is free API keys, by the way. We're not, this is not a money-making surface. This is entirely a, a research data portal. Um, and, and so we leverage that tool in order to find, you know, the really neat novel malware that we know is capable of bypassing existing email security stacks. So yeah, it's definitely crowded space. I mean, I could rattle off probably a dozen vendors um, that, yeah. are, that are operating there, um, but it's still a, a problem to be solved and, and we're throwing our hat into that ring. Most definitely. I mean, uh, the, this is one of the biggest attack vectors that we have uh, in cybersecurity. This is where a lot of the training is being initiated too in corporations trying to train employees on how to handle their email. And I think email as a privilege is actually emerging uh, to be much more uh, significant now. In other words, you know, people who really don't need access to external email, unless they really need it, won't even have it at all at this point because eliminating it eliminates a statistically a, a percentage of that probability that you're going to have a problem uh, via email. So let's break it down a little bit. What do these email-based attacks look like? Is there a common theme between all of them or what are we looking at? Yeah, sure. But maybe even before uh, diving into that, I mean, your, your point is, solid, super solid, right? Like what is the best security? You know, we have this, this mantra at Inquest is, you know, take the decision out of the user's hands. Uh, the less uh, attack surface, including in the, in the user space, uh, the, the better your security posture is going to be. So, you know, that, that's a, a great idea. I mean, you know, maybe distilling it down to even looking at like, you know, my parents, for example, like I'll put them on an iPad or an iOS uh, because it's a more locked down environment, can't install arbitrary application. So it just becomes, you know, a more secure posture. So what, what a neat idea. <laughs> Take email away from those that don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the problem with this is really um, just convincing the lines of business to do it. I mean, I think when they think about, oh, we're going to get rid of email, no matter who it is, they think, it, well, we need that for, you know, there's a legitimate business purpose, but clearly not every single person in the, in the organization, at least in most really large organizations needs access to external email. I think obviously there's a lot of customer facing people that do. Um, and even people who aren't customer, fa customer facing, who still need to communicate with vendors and things like that uh, and do all kinds of, you know, uh, back office at work, but it is a statistically, it is a, a consideration, right? Yeah. And uh, so this theme that we're talking about here on this, these email based attacks, um, there's quite, a, yeah, sure. there's quite a bit of different things going on there. Tell us, uh, tell us what your thoughts are. Yeah, you know, I, I'd break them up into to two major segments, right? You've got your, your lower tech attacks and, you know, things like phishing, you know, give me your password or, or vanity spoofing, which is just absurd. I mean, it's not even spoofing the email. It's literally changing like the, uh, the actual, your name. Like I could register, you know, random garbage at gmail.com, but make the name George Ritas and send you or your assistant an email pretending to be from you. And this works incredibly. Um, you've got invoice scams where, you know, I'll just ask you to pay me. I mean, you're, you're in a variety of other social engineering based tactics. And I call these lower tech because there's a less of a barrier um, to actually, you know, producing the tooling to get involved as a, as a malware author. You know, on the higher tech side of this, um, You've got the, and there's dozens of these, right? There's these malware operators for profit, um, you know, for nation state purposes. 
And typically their campaigns begin with a, a URL in an email or a file attachment in an email. And it's, it's going to be like an office document, a PDF file, you know, these super commonly traded um, file formats that are not going to be blocked um, at the policy level. You know, from there, typically what these guys are doing is there's a number of pivots. Like they don't just send you the malware, right? You get this malware lure, you know, like this document or something. And perhaps through a series of different pivots, some may require some interactivity from the user. Others may be automated, but it'll start to pull down second stage, third stage payloads. Like maybe that document that you opened will pivot to a compromised WordPress site and pull down, you know, another script, which will go connect to an attacker controlled server that might be a stood up Amazon service and, and pull down this, this next stage payload, right? And, and it's within these pivots that a lot of the defenders will, will operate. You know, you hear the term threat intelligence, uh, you know, one subset of, of that is, is tracking this infrastructure, right? What are these compromised um, domains? What are these IP address that are hosting malicious um, software? What SSL certificates are they using to um, encrypt the communication channels? You know, perhaps even what's the, the file name patterns or, or URL patterns that is, is common, right? If I'm a malware operator, perhaps I've got some mechanism to just go and, and arbitrarily discover vulnerable WordPress sites in the world and then install my malware to it and then distribute that through uh, my mouse spam campaign. Right, so this is a, a constantly changing fabric, a constantly changing uh, infrastructure. Um, and so that's one way of staying on top of it. It's just, you know, tracking this, this infrastructure. Interesting, interesting. So what about the defender side of things? Uh, you know, how do we, what is the common themes among the defenses that you know, companies are using to uh, protect themselves from these types of attacks? Yeah, sure. I mean, threat intelligence is one um, that I just mentioned, you know, just kind of uh, monitoring for the infrastructure. Um, you know, two main generic ones, and I'll say one is a little bit older school, uh, but still fully applicable. You've got your secure email gateways. Um, these are like your Mimecast, your proof points. Uh, you know, these folks are changing your, your MX record. So if I were to do a lookup at, at inquest.net, I won't see that the mail is being handled by mail.inquest.net. It might be handled by like, you know, mail.proofpoint.com or whatever. So they're like a, a physical, um, logical bump in the wire. You know, the more new school approach, um, and most of the, the newer age companies are, are, are approaching it this way, is API-based. So in Microsoft, you've got the Graph API, um, and you can do things, for example, uh, like introspect emails in motion, or you can, you can uh, uh, funnel and transport emails around. So if someone was to, uh, to look at your um, DNS records, they wouldn't see that somebody else is handling your mail. They would see that your cloud provider, like uh, Office 365 or, or G Suite's handling your email. And then somewhere within that mechanism are these API-based integrations into additional security tools. You know, and these are all the server side. You know, of course, there is um, on the endpoint as well. You know, you've got defense in depth. Um, you, know, you try and block that email from being delivered, but if it is, hopefully you've got some uh, endpoint product that can help uh, detect it on, on launch. Um, and of course, education, you know, totally different theme here, but uh, you or I are going to be a lot less likely than some you know, new to the game um, uh, administrative assistant or someone that's in the financial world. You know, they just don't see these things on a common basis. You know, we have an eye for it. And so the idea there, of course, is if you can educate your, your user base to kind of spot these um, things that stand out, you know, they could be uh, 
they can defend themselves from getting into trouble. Right, right. So it's common knowledge that uh, Microsoft and Google are the big providers, right? These are the these are the companies that everyone is really dealing with, or the majority of people are dealing with. What's the actual market breakdown between the two in terms of, you know, who owns what what percent of the market? That's a good question. You know, it's um, so actually one of the things. Th- this was something we asked ourselves uh, when we first got into into the email space. Um, it's you know who, who's the 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 bigger provider because that's where the customers are going to be. So I'm not overall sure on the users, you know, how much at Google versus like at Outlook.com. But commercially, you know, through our own experiments, we can see that the vast majority is Microsoft. If you just take like the, the Fortune 2000 and do a dig on, on every single one of their domain names, looking at who's providing their mail, almost all of them are, are Microsoft. Um, I, I believe the split's actually 90-10 Microsoft Google. But what's interesting is that Google is gaining uh, allegedly a point a year um, so they're, they're gaining traction. So, you know, Microsoft is more popular. Google is growing faster. At least that's in, in the enterprise space. Um, you know, Amazon's a provider here to look at as well. I'm not quite sure what their market share is. Um, I, I do know that they offer both a service called um, uh, SES, that's a secure email service, and also WorkMail. You know, SES is more of a backend, I'm pushing out emails as, as part of my product. Uh, work mail is more like, you know, I've got a, a Pedram at inquest.net and I'm receiving mail through, uh, through Amazon. And Amazon SES actually has a checkbox where they will do security analysis on, on files and attachments. Um, I haven't really looked at that yet. Uh, that is something I plan on looking at later. I'm currently actively experimenting um, against both Microsoft and, and Google, uh, but Amazon's coming up. Interesting. Interesting. So we're talking numbers here, right? We're talking numbers. What's the malware volume like? And is there like a a difference between the percentage of malware in each one of those companies? So when you look at malware, you know, the, the, you know, you're essentially just looking at a general like cosmic microwave background radiation, right? There's just this landscape of malware and there's many ways of measuring it. Um, Probably one of the most ubiquitous services is one called virus total from, uh, from Google. You know, essentially what they're doing here is aggregating a bunch of defenders, like 70 plus vendors. Their detection engines are, are in this cloud service and folks will upload files for, um, for testing. You know, it's API-based uploads, manual uploads. Um, even malware authors will use this service to test their, their malware before they go and send it out into, into the real world. They want to see um, and they want to tune it and tweak it so that it bypasses uh, detection. Now, this was actually a talk um, or a subject point in that talk I gave at Black Hat uh, last time we spoke. The whole premise there was ingest malware at scale from, from virus total. Um, and we'll talk about the numbers in, in just one second. I'll get back to your answer. Uh, <clears throat> and then go through that trough looking for, for gems. Um, you know, I recommend someone, if you're interested, go check out the talk. We, we showed three different zero day that we're actually able to uncover before the campaign was launched by mining this data source. And so, you know, using this as a litmus test because it's a good kind of statistical representation, you know, it's grown tremendously over the years. Um, and it's roughly about a million new samples a day are seen on this, on this surface. So this is new samples that are, are detected malicious. They have never been seen before um, and they're fresh. It's the first time they've ever been analyzed. I mean, that's a, a pretty tremendous amount of, of volume, and it's only a subset of what exists out there. Um, you know, if you look at the breakdown of what the file types look like, 
PDFs are are number one over over documents uh, in, in terms of of these common malware carriers, but we will see PDFs being used more for phishing and docs being used more for malware delivery. Um, <clears throat> so it depends on where you look at it, but you know roughly we're looking at figure it's in the order of millions of samples a day as opposed wow. to like ten or a hundred million. Huh. That's it's huge. massive, and it's only getting bigger and bigger every day. Uh, and what's get what's worse is that our talent is pool is um, or the gap is increasing. So not only is the volume of the data going up, but then the the number of people who are actually able to do something about it, um, that gap just continues to increase every day. Yes. Yeah, so the volume alone is, I guess, an indicator of how this problem isn't solved and people are throwing a lot of numbers at it because in, in some sense, it, it still is a numbers game. You know, um, a certain percentage of these tax will be successful. So um, as long as it's cost effective for the, for the bad guys to do it, they're going to continue to do it. But what, is there any other contributors that, that you can speak to that are really, you know, contributing to the problem here? Yeah. You know, email, email, as you said, you know, it, it's, who was the guy? Was it Willie Sutton? Who um, the the he was a bank robber, and they asked him. Reporters asked him, like, you know, why do you rob banks? He's like, well, that's where the money is. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's the same thing with the malware operators. That they're going to gravitate towards um, you know, the path of least resistance. And you're right; it's a numbers game. You know, if you've got ten thousand users in your organization, and even if you've got a a, a ninety nine percent efficacy rate, it's just a matter of time before someone finds a way to reach one of those users and get you know a footprint. Um, on the inside. Um, and, and why is this, isn't this a solved problem? I mean, you know, yes, the, the, there's a lot of people out there, right? There, there's a criminal element. Um, there's dozens of, there's about three dozen common campaigns that we track. And they got names like Emotet, Drydex, LokiBot, QBot, TrickBot, SmokeBot. You know, it just goes on and on, right? And these, <laughs> it really is a business out there. Like um, we're seeing people yeah. offering malware as a service. You know, one of the reasons why you see these multiple pivots is because potentially the team that's doing the initial um, spamming with these malware lures might be different than the team that's hosting the infrastructure that pivots to the payload that might be done by a different team uh, entirely. You know, and, and some of these guys have gotten so good at what they do that they just stop delivering their own payloads. They just offer it as a service. Like, hey, what do you want? You tell me what kind of malware you want to distribute. I've got you know, 100,000 uh, uh, systems underneath my, my control. I haven't given them an implant yet, but I'll actually just run this campaign for you. Just like a marketer might run a, an advertisement campaign. So you know, there's, there's right. people there looking. All right, folks, we got to transition into a commercial break here, but stick right with us. Lots more cybersecurity talk to come on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george at tf7radio.com. That's George at TF7. That's with the number 7, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the Chief Technology Officer for Inquest, Mr. Pedram Amini. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Chief Technology Officer at Inquest, Mr. Pedram Amini. So, Pedram, you know, we left the last segment we were talking about that this seems to be a crime of opportunity, and it seems to be where the money is, and it's still cost-effective. Um, is it cost-effective because they're attacking the user, and this isn't a server uh, uh, attack, um, uh, you know, a server-based attack? I mean, why users, basically? What's going on here? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, as you said, you know, the, the landscape certainly has changed. Like 10, 15 years ago, it was a lot more server-side. Now it's a lot more client-side. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of reasons for it. I mean, first of all, just talking about like the, the attack service, that software is complex. You know, PDF can render 3D objects. It has its own scripting language built into it. Um, and it's ever-changing. You know, Microsoft's got you know, 
decades worth of backwards compatible features, some of which end up, you know, biting them in the ass, unfortunately, when it comes to malware. You know, from, a, from an offensive side, the client side will be the last place for, for vulnerabilities to die. Um, you know, from a researcher perspective, it's just got a, a huge bounty of, of things to look at and more importantly, primitives to leverage to ensure exploitation is successful. Right? There's so many um, you know, modern defenses uh, you require some of these, these primitives to actually be able to successfully compromise uh, a system. Well, another reason, honestly, is because users are, you know, I'm putting this in quotes here, air quotes, uh, users are creative. Like there, there's just certain behaviors that you would expect are unique to only malware. Like take, for example, you know, a, a rich text format document. This is a, like the Microsoft Word pad that comes default on any Windows system, right? This RTF document to create. You know, someone, I've seen this commonly in the enterprise space, folks will take that thing, open it up, drag and drop a bunch of other files in there, like a PDF, an executable, a zip file, and then use that as a container to go send it off to a, um, you know, one of their colleagues. Right? If that's weird behavior, like if I, just seeing that, I would assume that maybe that is malware. Why is there an executable sitting inside of, uh, of a document? And so if users weren't so creative, uh, perhaps it'd be easier to create policies that, that uh, precluded malware from like hiding in this fashion. But, you know, unfortunately, there's just so much variability to how people do business. And the last thing you want to do is get in the way of folks doing business. You know, security, unfortunately, is, is always going to be second to the bottom line. Yeah, you don't want to be a blocker. You want to be a facilitator. And it can't be just a, you know, a, a phrase. You really have to facilitate business. Like you have to understand how, you know, you understand the PNL, the business, how they make money, what are the critical assets, you know, what are the critical applications, what do you need to protect, and how this all plays into that. Um, I think it's really important. I'm, I'm curious to hear more about this Tristero. Is it Tristero uh, project that you and I spoke about? It um, is. Uh, I can't yeah. take credit for the name. What's, uh, what's, what's going on with that? What's, uh, what's the deal with this? Uh, you're feeding so, real-world malware through providers? And- yeah, yeah. So my, one of my... Um, you know, we talked about this Inquest Labs that we started, right? We, we've, we're harvesting malware at scale. We're finding interesting samples. Um, the interesting samples we were focused on before was zero day being used by malware operators. Right, right. You know, what we're doing now is we, we take that data set now and I'm like, well, let's, you know, now that we're looking at the, the mail providers like Google, Microsoft, let's create a couple of accounts. Um, I'll create a, a, you know, at gmail.com address. Um, I'll create an at outlook.com address. These are their free available services. Um, you know, I'll create a, a pay for G Suite commercial domain. I'll get 0365 with ATP. I'll get 0365 with ATP. And they've got this like phishing module that you can enable, right? So now I've got all these different paths. What I've done is um, we've created like an email loop, right? So we'll take the data from, from labs, uh, the novel malware that we find daily, and we'll feed it through each one of these loops. And if it comes back to me, that means that that provider didn't block it coming in or going out. We know that that sample that we took from the real world was able to at least bypass the default security of either Microsoft or G Suite, which means that if you're one of those two customers, you need something on top of it. You know, whether it was endpoint, so it got delivered to you, you weren't able to block it um, and you, you stopped it from being actually being launched, or you've got some secure email gateway or API-based um, add-on to your email security to, to block that, that kind of thing. So the name Tristero comes from um, 
1960s novel. Uh, my my colleague uh, came up with a code word for it. You know, the, the Tristero symbol was essentially this like secret postal service, and that's where the name came from. Hmm. Right. All right. So we got all these problems going on. We got you're doing all this research into the problem in email security. Who's got the best defense against uh, these email attacks? Of course, that's a natural question to ask. Like who? Everybody wants to know who they should use. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> this gives the answer. <laughs> so, as with most answers, um, it depends. Right. Um, I'll tell you, there were some major assumptions I made when I when I first started doing this, and we've been running this project now for um, a couple months. Um, it's a back and forth, and so it's actually fun. You know, originally because the data comes from VirusTotal, right? That's the collection of malware, and Google owns it. I assumed actually that they would be knowledgeable of all that malware they're collecting. So we went through some hassles to actually try and like mask it so they don't just do pure hash-based discovery. But in the end, it turns out they're not using that data. Um, so we, we didn't have to worry about that kind of um, unfair advantage they, they may have. But it goes back and forth. You know, some weeks are, are weeks where Microsoft 0365 will win. Other weeks, uh, uh, G Suite will win. Uh, they, they certainly go back and forth. I will say off the bat, if you are a, a free user, um, Outlook.com is the worst. So, you know, the other ones are operating in the in the 85% plus. Um, Outlook is blocking, like is missing like over half the attacks that we throw at it. So wow. if, if you're uh, just, if you're sending up an, an email for your, your parents, use G Suite, don't use Outlook. Wow. I think a lot of people are going to take that to heart. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of the people, you know, out in San Francisco who's doing, who, who are doing all the startups and everything, they all use G Suite. All of them. They're addicted to it. And none of them use uh, Microsoft. Do you think it's because of this or it's just because they like G Suite better uh, for what they're trying to do? It gives them more flexibility or what is it? You know, it, it's a neat, it's a neat um, observation. I find the same thing. Like almost every smaller startup that we know is yeah. all using G Suite. But if you go to the enterprise, um, you know, right. Microsoft is dominant there. But just to be clear, Microsoft's 0365, that is a, a competitive you know, good security. It's Outlook.com specifically. It's the free provider. That if you're going to set up whether you're, you know, Petermat Outlook or Petermat Gmail, you're better off with Petermat Gmail. From an enterprise perspective, 0365 is crushing it. They're everywhere. Everyone's implementing. I mean, Microsoft must be making, you know, so much money. So what makes your email security different from what the big vendors like Google and Microsoft are, are, are offering? Like, what do you guys do on top of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, similar to what we do in, from the on-premise space, you know, my, my background is in, um, at least with Inquest, is, is in a, a DOD on-premise uh, carrier class defense. You know, we focused on the gaps there. Like we looked at the space, you know, when you stack up the best in breed vendors across the spectrum of different offerings, you know, what's still left? And so, and that's what drove really this Tristero project is it's, it's the same thing. You know, that worked for us in the public sector. So in the private sector, we're taking the same approach. So let's go find the area um, that folks aren't doing well in on the defensive side and, and focus our, our efforts there. You know, that's where the Tristero project comes from, at least. You know, generically, though, we, we have this technology we call deep file inspection, um, and it's piercing deeper into files. You know, I call this layer seven plus, right? So if you okay. put an, if you send an email with a document attachment and inside that document is another document and inside there is an executable, you know, it's hard from a transport perspective to like deep dive into that embedded file. That's what we're specializing in, right? We, we do all this hard work to automate that, that, that portion of it so that what goes into deep file inspection might be a nebulous encapsulated, you know, even encrypted um, 
uh, object, what comes out of it is just a bunch of easy to see layers. Easy to see for my signature writing team, easier to see for my machine learning models, um, and easier to see for, uh, you know, for customers. Customers who are writing their own uh, detection logic, and you know, granted these are over time fewer and farther between. Most folks are looking for the easy button, set it and forget it. They're understaffed and don't have the time to, to do this level of, um, of custom detection. But folks who do, they'll love the output of this thing. It just makes life, you know, a lot of the frustrations that dealt with as a um, you know, writing signatures on the tipping point platform, for example, this is a totally different world. It just makes life uh, very easy. And some of that can be seen by folks when, they, when they're playing with labs. Um, a portion of our, our default inspection engine um, is, is, visible, is visible there. And you know, what, what this allows us to do on top of what the providers are, are offering is we can go with what I call super granular controls, right? You know, maybe to your point, maybe somebody doesn't need access to email. Well, uh, if, if that's not plausible, maybe that person cannot receive URLs via email. There's just no need for it, right? So we, we can block that at, at a policy level to that person. Or perhaps that user is deemed someone who is, is more susceptible to social engineering-based attacks. So any one-page PDF that contains a suspicious URL is just not going to be delivered to that, that user. Um, even down to, and this is something that we're doing with a, um, a larger scale health company. If you can do best practices, you can turn off JavaScript and PDF. You can remove Java from your endpoints. You can disable macros in, in Office. You know that's great, but that's not real world um, enterprise. You know, you look in like the healthcare space. You got documents with macros going in and out of the organization between providers, you know, it's an impossible ask. And so what ends up happening, you've got this huge gray area where you've got false positives and false negatives that are both allowing compromise and preventing a business function. So, you know, worst case scenario. So what we can do, and even a case like this is down to the functions that are being called by the macro embedded in the document, we can allow controls there. You know, we'll look at a corpus of a thousand documents from the environment, be like, here's the kinds of functionality that you guys use. Anything out of that will be not allowed. That way, malware that's using functionality that's not typical to your environment is just going to fail. It's going to be blocked from being, from being delivered. So, you know, so that, that's an example this, uh, of, of how you know, diving really deep into the file layer just allows us to build this excess layer of, of granular controls over top of, of what's going in and out of your environment over email. You know, what you just described is incredibly helpful when CISOs are having conversations with risk and business executives from the LOBs because we don't have to completely get rid of email at this point, right? Like you said, we can be more granular with what we're trying to do and what we're trying to control and secure and even in a specific employee's behavior, even at some point, you know, we can say, hey, look, you know, there's no uh, HTML links going to this, you know, this email address. Um, and also that deep file inspection is, I would say, is uh, very unique. Um, no one else is doing this? Not to my knowledge. You know, we're, mm -hmm. um, what we're doing here is fairly technical and, and yeah. isn't, you know, we, we invented this in the basement of the Pentagon, essentially, right? The, uh, the, the first version of this product was, was built by a team of SOC analysts who could not get what they wanted out of the commercially available tools. And so they built this concept of, of deep file inspection. You know, we, we've taken it and, and we've run with it. You know, we were now pushing it into the cloud, but I don't know of anybody who takes it and exposes it to the degree that we do. 
Like we're really leveraging it as not just an intermediary to help the, the automation controls, but as an intermediary to, to employ uh, policy like you're describing, just as we're saying, right? This, this person does not do the kind of work that requires anything outside of plain text emails, or they're only allowed to receive uh, office document attachments because that's the kind of area that they work in, right? Having the ability to tune down that attack surface per person, as opposed to just group wide. Right. Right. I think that's, you know, that's very helpful in the conversation. So you don't have to have this general overseeing sort of umbrella over the whole group or the business unit. You can actually um, be specific and then drill down in those controls uh, even towards a user's own behavior. So I know your on-premise solution provides this like sort of retrospective analysis capability called retro hunting. Is that something that's offered through the SaaS platform as well? It is indeed. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a major uh, differentiator for us across the board. Um, you know, just in a nutshell, deep file inspection gives me a new dimension of data. Retro hunting gives me a new dimension of time. I'm not just looking at emails as they're coming in. You know, we're producing new threat intel all the time. And so knowing that hindsight is 2020, knowing that we're going to be smarter tomorrow than we are today, you know, every time we push new intel into the platform, it automatically reconsiders uh, the past weeks or months, depending on how you tune it, uh, worth of data to determine if, hey, this thing that we delivered, you know, 10 days ago, maybe we know that it's malicious now. And that's something that we need to bubble up to folks to go see, um, you know, what the outcome of that was. Um, so it, it's absolutely a, a, a key portion of what we're doing. And, and we leverage this, you know, we, we dog food this all the time. If we find a zero day in the wild campaign, for example, you know, we'll go find that that campaign and we'll, we'll write some detection logic specifically for it. And we'll push it out to all of our customers in a retro hunt, trying to see if any of them were targeted by the same um, campaign that we now know about, you know, someone discovered it and now we're, we're kind of scrambling to see, all right, well, was any of our guys um, affected by it? Okay, Pedro, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the chief technology officer for Inquest. Mr. Pedram Amini. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S I N E T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the Chief Technology Officer at Inquest. Mr. Pedram Amini. So, Pedram, you know, in your previous roles, you were sort of entrenched with identifying and, and validating these zero-day vulnerabilities, and you brought them up before in the previous segment. And the buzz around zero-day was, you know, who has them or who, who can prevent them from being exploited is really where the war is, right? You know, who has them and, and how do we know and who has them and then how can we prevent them from being used to exploit uh, the vulnerabilities uh, that they're designed to exploit. So are you still in that area of, uh, of interest and in what you do over there? What's going on with that? Because that's something that everybody is into. Yeah, for sure. I mean, zero-day vulnerabilities, you know, basically a vulnerability that nobody else knows about yet, right? It's, yeah. um, it's held by a private party. They're, they're always going to be a thing. They've always been a thing. And, and they, are, uh, you know, they are fascinating. From, from my time at, at the Zero Day Initiative, you know, one of the things that became very clear empirically was that there's overlap between researchers. You know, sometimes two, three researchers from different parts of the planet using different techniques would discover the same vulnerabilities. Um, you know, the first time this happened, we thought maybe someone's trying to pull a fast one on us, right? They're trying to sell the same information twice. But by the dozenth time this happened, we started realizing that, look, there just is a lot of overlap. And while we had the biggest program of its kind, it's still not all the researchers in the world, it's just a sampling, just like virus total is a sampling of what's going on um, in the world. And so, yeah, the short answer is, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're, we're certainly interested in it. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, our, our background is, is in defending the DOD. It's a, that's a huge pride and honor. And so uh, we throw everything in the kitchen sink, every resource, every partnership, every friendship we have, we leverage to get all the intel plausible um, in, in hopes of, of getting a win. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that's done through partnerships. 
you know, one partnership that is is pretty ubiquitous across the defensive space is Microsoft has their Active Protections Program, MAP, M-A-P-P, right? Basically, it took us two years to get into this program. You got to go through a lot of vetting, but if you do get in, they provide you with um, access and more details to their vulnerabilities that they're publishing every Patch Tuesday prior to that Patch Tuesday. So instead of scrambling to reverse engineer patches and read advisories and trying to figure out um, what the vulnerability is, you know, at the same pace that the attackers are doing this as a defender and part of the map program, um, you get access to that data beforehand. So you can write, you know, well-tuned uh, detection logic. You know, what's neat here is that Microsoft actually manages this for Adobe as well. And so if you're part of the map, you know, you're getting all Adobe and Microsoft bugs. Um, that is a pretty large swath of that, um, those initial, you know, in, infection vectors. It still leaves, um, it still leaves Java, still leaves, um, um, you know, non-Internet Explorer browsers like Google, Firefox, Safari, but it, it's still a pretty, you know, good chunk. You know, augmenting that, there's uh, another company here in Austin, um, Exodus Intelligence, um, you know, close partner of ours at Inquest. Uh, I sit on the advisory board there. They're, they're good friends of mine. Uh, you know, the founding team was, was former members of, of the Zero Day Initiative. You know, they play in the Zero Day uh, vulnerability intelligence space. And, um, you know, we're, we're one of their users and they, they provide us with information about the Zero Day that they know about. Um, and this gives us even more Zero Day coverage. Now, one of the really neat things about the, the Exodus work is, you know, these guys are actually writing it's not just a proof, they're writing an exploit, right? So they're giving the capability to fully compromise whatever that vulnerability is, they will get it to uh, be at a state where you can deliver a payload. And to do this, you know, sometimes it requires jumping generic hurdles, hurdles that would exist around the exploitation of other vulnerabilities as well. And so we'll focus on these, you know, these TTPs, these, these um, tools, tactics, procedures, because if I can anchor on an exploitation technique, that allows me to detect a larger number of vulnerabilities, which in turn will allow me to detect an even larger number of malware, right? There's more malware than there are vulnerabilities, than there are exploitation techniques. So, you know, in short, zero day is very interesting to me. Um, and it is something that we, you know, take active measures to, to glean information about. Yeah, no doubt. And they could be some of the most damaging and surprising attacks because no one knows about them before they actually appear. And so nothing is bulletproof, right? And what if you want to go further? How does intelligence play into all this? Sure. You know, I, as I mentioned earlier, the most folks are looking for the easy button, right? They would right. love to, to just uh, give you their credit card and have you automatically stop things from getting into uh, the inbox. And that's it. They don't want to see you. They don't want to talk to you. Uh, they don't want to deal with alerts. Uh, they just want the problem solved. And, and good security is invisible, right? It, you, you don't get in the user's way. You know, that said, as, you know, as you're saying, you know, nothing's bulletproof. So you really need, if you're really serious about it, um, and, you know, and going back to this Tristero project, right? I mentioned that Outlook was the worst. On, and there's movement, right? Between, I would say the standard efficacy rate on any given day on average is between 85 and 95% for uh, Google and, and Microsoft. That's not terrible. Uh, they're still leaving five to 10 points of, of um, openness, which, which is a gap to be addressed, but it's not, you know, absolutely terrible. So if we want to go, if we want to go further than what, what's going on here, if we want to really catch as much as possible, you know, one of the things that we offer is what I call email decoration. 
right? In the same way that I mentioned earlier, like you or I might have less of a chance of falling for some kind of scam because we're just knowledgeable of what these things look like, right? We might look at the SSL certificate. We might look at the headers. You know, we might look at the document and notice it ha- it's asking us to enable active content or, you know, it's just a new sender. All these things are kind of like these instincts that we have from experience. The point of email decoration is to automate getting that experience over to all of the users. So if someone who may be less knowledgeable about what these attacks looks like, if they see a fat red banner at the top of the email that says, hey, this thing didn't look bad enough for me to block it, but you know, you've never seen this sender before, it's really odd, um, you know, maybe you should be really sure before you open it. You know, kind of giving this, this warning, give them pause, make them slow down a little bit. And, and these banners are you know, red to really catch attention, um, you know, yellow, it's, it's a little bit, you know, just suspect or, or you know, blue is just kind of informational. Um, it's, it's almost, to a degree, it's almost training through your real world email, right? If, if I'm just every email that comes by, if I can make a comment on it and an end user reads it, they might through that process just become more knowledgeable about the types of, uh, you know, threats that are out there. You know, on top of email decoration, um, Threat intelligence is, of course, you know, as you mentioned, if you want to dive into that layer of it. You know, so we're doing malware analysis at scale on what's going on in the world uh, by ingesting your, your spool, your email spool, and, and catching the malware that's inside there. We can kind of overlay them on top of one another. Right? And through some machine learning, some clustering, um, what we're able to do is actually find the outliers. So the stuff that I'm seeing in the wild that I also see in your email spool you know, that's kind of garden variety things, right? It's just people trying to opportunistically break into random systems. It's the outliers, the things that only you're seeing that are not going to the rest of the world. Those are the ones that we want to spend some more time, you know, looking into, perhaps writing custom detection logic or doing some, um, some more like threat intelligence research to proactively map out infrastructure that's related to the campaigns that we've seen, but we haven't seen their full infrastructure yet. Right? It's almost like an early warning system. Like, okay, someone is, is jiggling the door handle. Let's get ready. The final piece, if, if someone's really serious about it, um, will actually step into the, to the deception world. And you'll know this um, better than anyone. Um, you know, I, I obviously, I can't disclose the methodologies for, for how we're doing this because we don't want to uh, tip off the adversary. Right. But, but the idea here is, is create, proactively create a, um, a mechanism for extruding information from the adversaries to, to help, you know, all of these steps are just tightening it down more and more and more until you get to, you know, what is ideal, 99.999% deep nines um, in, in terms of, of blocking or at least um, uh, decorate your warning about things that are going to, to the user. Yeah, I mean, the more intelligence you can gather and the more you can do to... Um actually lead the adversary in the wrong direction even uh, and make it more costly for them to do what they do. Make it not cost effective to attack you, at least from even your specific company, even that, in that basis, then you could, uh, you know, steer them someplace else. If there's, you know, obviously if there's a bunch of houses there and one has an alarm with a, with a guard dog and, <laughs> and everything, they're going to go to the house that doesn't have that. Right. And it's what we're talking about here. It's moving the, the, the adversary away from you. Um, you think things are pretty complex right now, you know, with the transformation to modern desktop and, you know, a lot of people have these hybrid environments now. What do you do when you have Exchange Plus O365 and you have all kinds of different things going on? You have on-prem, you have things in the cloud. I mean, what do you do then? 
Sure. Yeah. And, you know, to, to your point, you're absolutely right. Right. What's that? Um, what's that joke? You don't have to unru- un, uh, you don't have to outrun a bear. You just have to outrun at least one person in your <laughs> yes, group who's right. running away from the bear. <laughs> right. and it, it's a crappy way of looking at things, admittedly. You know, it, yeah. but it is it is realistic. If someone is looking at attacking your vertical, the car industry, healthcare industry, gambling industry, whatever it is, you know, they're going to go and and they're going to go after the the lowest hanging fruit. So if you can make it more difficult, uh, more costly, you're right. The, the idea there is to, to make them move on. Now, you know, it, it is an interesting point you bring up, right? Not everybody, while the, the, the craze is in the cloud, some people are halfway. Um, some people just started, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of offices sh- shut down and, and folks who were quite happy living in their um, north, south, ingress, egress bubble suddenly had to break that, that, um, that paradigm and, and switch the cloud. And, you know, they're kind of like half and half. So we, you know, we fully support this. Um, this is something that, because we, especially we cu- coming from the the on-premise um, uh, high network carrier class like throughput appliances, you know, we've been there in in the past. And and the nice thing about our architecture is that we can mix it all, right? So whether it's data in motion from a tap or data in motion from you know logical API integration to uh, Microsoft O365 or if we're ingesting data at rest, or if we're ingesting via IMAP or ICAP or API, in the end, it's a single platform, it's multi-tenant. And so we can leverage one interface, one uh, custom detection platform for ingesting data from all these different sources. Um, And and that is something that, you know, newer companies, they're just straight to cloud. This isn't a, uh, a concern for them. But in the real world, large scale enterprise space, you know, Fortune 1000, um, this is going to be quite common. And, and in some cases, folks haven't gone to cloud, right? There's some people who just won't ever do that. They can't afford to have their email school sitting on someone else's server. So a big part of uh, having a, a good cybersecurity program is really conducting assessments against yourself to see where you're weakest, having those threat to capability assessments drive your financial planning cycles. How does one go about testing their own email security stack? How does that happen? Yeah, you know, essentially doing what we did, um, but on your on your own stack. You know, I mean, two answers here. You know, one is you you could build it out yourself, of course, um, and more mature teams might want to do this. You know, there might be proactively hmm. um, hunting and 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 retrospectively seeing things that that passed. Uh, you know, that, that was able to bypass the detection. Um, and they want to test to make sure that future iterations, you know, that kind of thing won't happen. Right? So more mature teams are going to want to you know, architect this thing on their own, or perhaps they'll find some some pure, like, you know, breach and attack service, um, uh, breach and attack simulation vendors to, to kind of help, uh, you know, automate this process. Um, you know, as an aside, I mean, one of the, the, this whole email loop Tristero project that we created uh, for testing we actually recently opened this up um, and it, it's really expanding on the experiment. Um, it, it's totally free. We, we, we set it up as a courtesy. And of course we get information out of it too. We get to see if, if you have a certain, um, a certain stack with certain uh, additional security controls on top of the default providers, we'll see how well those work as well. Uh, but, but basically uh, if someone can create a new account on their domain and set it to forward emails uh, back to us, 
you know, we will every day, our, our breach and attack simulation service that feeds off of Inquest Labs data, and it, it takes those you know, million files a day and it distills them down to um, you know, maximum a couple dozen. Some days zero, some days a, a handful. Uh, you know, we take those samples, we, we run them through all the different providers and the ones that are able to bypass everybody. So uh, Google on top of Microsoft, uh, you know, not just side by side, you know, we're stacking them all. So any sample that can bypass everybody, that is included as part of this, um, this daily assessment. You know, no, there's no GDPR concerns. This is just a pure um, security controls validation. You know, test your real world defenses against real world malware. So, Pedro, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. This is a very interesting conversation. That last topic that we just talked about on how to conduct your own security assessment, I think, is, you know, a huge, huge issue. Um, I don't think most people can do, uh, you know, the first option that you described and do it themselves. I just don't think they have the, especially when you have these complex hybrid environments and, and um, you know, this transformation that's going on in most companies uh, with all their digital assets. So, uh, it's very, really interesting stuff. I can't wait to have you back on again. Um, thanks for coming on. Come on often. I appreciate it. All right. I appreciate the time, George. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk. And, and I mean, you're right. We could dive into any one of these bullets for, you know, hours upon hours. Yeah, we could, we could, we could. I can't wait till all this, you know, madness clears up so we can hang out and, and go bouncing again. I just can't, you know, this, all, all this virtual stuff, I'm just so over it. So hopefully that'll happen soon. And, you know, by springtime, we'll be, we'll be outside and uh, we'll be able to meet up again, but I appreciate it, man. Take care. Take care. All right. Folks, it's time to go already. Uh, I appreciate you all. This is a big week here in America. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I really appreciate you listening to us. Have a great week, and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Redis, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.